Is your marriage getting worse instead of better? Has there been talk of separation, or is either spouse considering divorce? If any of these apply, then Love Reboot is your answer. Come join the hundreds of couples who were once in despair and headed for divorce, but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship after attending a Love Reboot weekend. Visit us at growinglovenetwork.org for more information on an upcoming Love Reboot workshop. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's wrong and what's right with marriage and relationships in our world today. This episode is titled, Divorce, It's Not As Bad As You Think, and our guest is author and researcher Shanti Feldhahn. here with me today. Someone I'm very excited to have on this program and, and for this episode. Her name is Shanti Feldhahn. For those of you who have never heard of her, um, you need to have heard of her because she has written several books that are changing the way that we think about marriage and the way we do marriage. Uh, the, the, I've got uh, sitting here with three copies of, of uh, I mean, three different books that she's written. Uh, one's called Highly Happy Marriage. One's called For Men Only. I mean, did I say that right? Women Only. One's for women only and one's for men only. I did have a copy uh, of another book. And this is, Shanti, this is, you, you might find this amusing. Um, but uh, I, what's the other book, the title of that one? The Good News About Marriage. The Good News About Marriage. And uh, I had that. We were going last weekend to drop our daughter, our youngest, off at college for her sophomore year. And I was looking for that book, and I had it on my desk just two days before. And I asked my wife, Joanna, I said, Did, have you seen that book uh, by Shanti Feldhahn? She said, oh, yes, I just gave it to somebody who I thought would need that, that they were asking me about marriage. So, hey, at least it's going to good use. But I was going to go through that and make some last-minute notes in it. And <laughs> but I had, uh, I had skimmed back. I read it about two years ago. And where I first met you, ran into you at a um, uh, national conference for the American Association of uh, Christian Counselors. And um, that's where I first uh, ran into you and learned some things from you and read that book at that time. And so I, I went back through it. But I also want to, uh, well, let me just tell you a little bit about Shanti. Um, first of all, she uh, received her graduate degree from Harvard and has worked on Wall Street and Capitol Hill. She's unexpectedly, unexpectedly became a social researcher and best-selling author equipping people with eye-opening, life-changing truths about personal and work relationships through her books that have sold. She sold uh, over uh, 2 million copies in 23 languages, um, and we've told you the titles of the, those books. Um, she's... Uh, got a new book coming out in January. Is that right? January? Yeah, that's correct. And that book is called The Kindness Challenge. Tell us a little bit about that book, Shanti. 
Yeah, the kindness challenge is actually our latest big research project because that's a lot of what I do. I do a research study and then um, write a book about anything that is essentially stuff we don't get and we don't know that it's going to make our life better <laughs> once we know it. And this actually was fascinating because we discovered that kindness in relationships is basically a superpower. Um, it's it, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like it's something that's very sweet and kind of vague. And instead, what we did is we studied the effect of um, a habit called the 30-day kindness challenge, where we asked people to do a few simple things for 30 days that were basically acts of kindness, words of kindness, thoughts, thoughts even of kindness towards the other person, refusing to be negative, studied all of these these things and found that it dramatically, dramatically impacts the other person and the relationship and really changes you. So it's a it's a fantastic, very practical uh, research study. Well, I don't think anybody would argue that being kind is going to make things better. But uh, so um, you were telling me about this book earlier. And um, how does that play out? What, what, what is somebody going to find out uh, differently from doing this 30-day uh, challenge than just, you know, having it in the back of their mind? Oh, yes, I need to be a kind person. <laughs> well, actually, the thing that was sort of funny for me is that I realized, first of all, how often I was actually unkind and I think of myself as being a pretty positive person someone who's pretty attuned to kindness and it wasn't until I started to do this you know this sort of specific day-to-day -day stuff that that I was testing that I realized oh my gosh I'm actually negative all the time <laughs> without realizing it for example like one of the types of negativity we cataloged all these things and one of the types of negativity is exasperation I'm exasperated with my kids all the time. <laughs> and I didn't realize that's basically saying you're an idiot <laughs> every day. And, uh, and I would never use those words, but I say it anyway oh. by being exasperated. And so that's an example of the type of stuff that until you start doing this, you just don't realize how often you are an unkind person. Well, I, I thank you for your, your transparency there. I, I, one of the things that I, I, I'm so thankful for is that uh, a lot of people think, uh, you know, us marriage experts, that we've got it all down, and, and they don't realize how uh, we're all humans, too, that are uh, basically selfish, and uh, <laughs> we tend to think of ourselves and our own agenda uh, at least 90% of the time, and and so, uh, yeah, that's that's refreshing to hear that. And and we're we're not perfect people, and and having it all down uh, isn't isn't knowing all what to do doesn't make things better, right? It's yeah. it's um there's more about uh, change of head and heart that 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 creates the the lasting change. So I I wanted to ask you we're gonna go talk more about your other book. Um, uh, oh, I just went blank on the the good news the good marriage. news about marriage. Yes, thank you. You. <laughs> yes, I don't have it right in front of me. I've got the other three here, so uh, I don't have that one in front of me to remind me of the title. Uh, what really got me about that book is it is it exposed something that I had been thinking about for a long time, 
um, about this idea of going into uh, marriage, into a relationship uh, with a fear mindset versus um, a hopeful mindset and how that how that can impact things. So uh, tell, tell us about that book. Sure. Well, the, the good news about marriage is essentially the result of an eight-year research project. Eight very years. Mm-hmm. It's very wow. different than the other research studies that I have done, which is all primary research where I'm conducting surveys of people and digging out their sort of inner thoughts and feelings and writing a book about it. This actually... Um, it, it basically is debunking a very commonly held piece of conventional wisdom about the fact that marriage is falling apart and marriage in America is dead and there's a 50% divorce rate and the rate of divorce is the same in the church and remarriages are doomed and okay, a lot of marriages that stay together aren't very happy. Like, there's all this doom and gloom that we believe. And as you said, it affects our, our mindset. And I ran across initially, eight, eight years before I wrote the book, I ran across some statistics that, um, that made me really doubt the conventional wisdom when I started to investigate it. And it, it changed everything once I realized that there is a lot of good news about marriage that we never hear about. And that a lot of the bad news we hear about is sometimes urban legend or myth. Yeah, so I mean, if you ask almost any adult whether they're married or not, what is the divorce rate in the U.S.? And they'll say, "Well, isn't it fifty percent? Don't half of all marriages in a divorce?" So you're saying that that you found that that is not the case. Where did where did we come up with that? So this is why it took eight years. Where we come up with that is it's incre- I'm simplifying here, by the way, as we're talking something that is incredibly complicated, which is why it took so long to understand. So it turns out that the reason people think that there is a 50% divorce rate is, well, first of all, it becomes conventional wisdom and then it takes on a life of its own because people just quote it everywhere. But also researchers for years have been saying, you know, have been projecting a 40 to 50% divorce rate. They they started this years ago when um, no fault divorce first came into being, you know, in the 1970s, because there was this really super massive spike of divorces once people could get divorced just because they wanted to, without having to convince a judge that there was a reason, and, um, but that, that divorce spike hit a peak in 1980, and it's been coming down ever since. Most people don't know that, pretty substantially, like it's fallen more than a third over that time, and it's still falling. But the experts, the demographers, the researchers have continued to project that at some point we're going to hit a 40 to 50 percent divorce rate. We've never hit that. So we've never hit that. So a lot of that is based on projections. It is. And that's the problem. People don't realize it's a projection. Okay. Yes, I um, in in graduate school, my my. uh, thesis we was a, uh, a study on we were trying to study this how does uh, premarital sex uh, affect later on sex and we couldn't find in in uh, our uh, you know going back through all the research we couldn't find anything that hit that directly the closest thing we could find to it was uh, how um, how cohabiting living together before you're married affects marriage and it was interesting. We found th- this, this; these two names kept coming up. 
um, Bumpus and Sweet. And they had done several different researches because they, they were trying to show that uh, it's a good idea to take that car out for a test drive before you buy it. So, so that uh, living together before you get married was, uh, uh, should, should result in a better uh, marriage because you're, you're making sure you got the right model before you buy it. And they kept coming up, no, that's not the, the case. <laughs> And, and uh, you ask people now, okay, uh, you know, isn't that a good idea? Most people in our culture would say, well, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. And, and, but we've known since the 70s that it's not a good idea. And all the research says it's not a good idea. But so, it, so these, these ideas keep hanging on in our culture. Why do you think they keep hanging on? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. One of the main reasons why they keep hanging on is because it, it's actually really a function of the way our media culture works. So one of the things that I discovered is, well, first of all, in the Internet age, it's really easy to spread bad, <laughs> bad numbers. Oh, yes, yeah. That's... And, and, the, and the real numbers are so super complicated that the average person, you know, they don't, uh, they don't know whether what they're looking at is a real table from the Census Bureau or somebody's, sort of mock-up of it like they have they have no idea yes and and so what happens often is that the media will focus its attention on whatever it thinks is going to make the biggest splash in the headlines which is usually the assumption is that negative news draws more attention which to be fair it might right that, sure. that, there's a reason why that's yeah keep playing that we way. all we all want to see the train wreck yeah, I mean, there's there's something in our our stupid human nature that seems to like that. But what it means by definition is that as I was going back and looking at the source documents and looking at the studies, and like I said, it took quite a few years to even figure out where to look. Um, as I was doing that, I would often, like this was the norm, I'd go to a study that had been splashed in the media about whatever it was, that was some negative thing about marriage. And I'd go to that study and I'd look at it and I would see very frequently that the study had found, let's just say, five big findings. And four of them were positive and one of them was negative. And guess what the media splashed? Right. right? Okay. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that. So just, just to sort of share the, share the numbers, the 50% divorce rate, we've never hit that. It's never been for society as a whole. Now, there's high-risk groups that have hit that, but never the average. Yes. And, and here's an example. So there was a New York Times article, super splashed, you know, over, you know, the headline that basically said divorce is catching. You know, big study, longitudinal study finds that divorce is catching, which is, you know, pretty catchy headline. And it was based on this study that started in 1941 in Framingham, Massachusetts. So it's a very long-term, very good study that basically studied tens of thousands, probably by the time it was done, 100,000 people in this community of Framingham and followed generations to find out all sorts of demographic things, including marriage and divorce patterns. And at the end of that period of you know 50-something years, they had found several things, including that if you knew someone who got divorced, you were more likely to get divorced as well. And it's, you know, becomes, it becomes normative and it's like, okay, everybody's doing it. Yeah. But it had also found that people who didn't know as many divorced people were far less likely to get divorced. So happy marriages are catching too. 
And the other thing it found was the divorce rate. The divorce rate in Framingham, Massachusetts, after that entire period, 9.5%. Okay. And now why so very was low. not the headline in the New York Times? Representative American City has a 9.5% divorce rate. But that wouldn't have been, I guess, the New York Times considered it news? I don't know. Right. So divorce is catching was the headline instead when all of these things that the study found we're super, super positive, but we never hear about it. And and I'm also thinking, okay, well, if if, it, if the study shows that if you are uh, know somebody that's been divorced, you're more likely to get divorced. Well, who doesn't know somebody who's been divorced these days, right? Well, well, also, I mean, they were basically saying if you're close friends and in these kinds of relationships where you see these people every day and they're part of your life, that's that's what it found. Right. But it worked this the other way as well. Yes, right? sure, you know, sure, okay, yeah. Just one reason why church attendance and the church Christian community, we've got to get away from this idea that uh, all of us tend to believe, and I have said many times to my regret, that the rate of divorce is the same in the church, because it's not. It turns out that's a complete misunderstanding. Yes. It's much lower in the church, and part of the reason is, You've got a supportive community. Yes, I you know I just was talking to somebody yesterday saying, well, yes, isn't and isn't it about the same amongst churched people? Um, but it's not, right? You you found that to be how how drastic a difference is there there? It's pretty drastic, actually. Everybody thinks that the rate of divorce is the same in the church because there's this big misunderstanding about the the George Barna study. Yes. Um, so everybody knows, you know, George Barna, great researcher, studies a lot of things with faith, studies that sort of side of the world a lot. And years ago, he started this, he found what people thought was the rate of divorce is the same in the church. That was the narrative. And it turns out he didn't, because he never studied people in the church. What specifically Barna was studying was one thing, which is if you call people on the phone and ask the religious questions, people who answered in a Christian way or an atheist way or a Muslim way. That's how they got categorized. That's how they got categorized. Okay. And those people had the same divorce rates. But he specifically excluded whether they went to church from the analysis because that was not what he was trying to study. He was only trying to study belief systems. Okay. So what I did is I partnered with the Barna Group and I bought that data set and we re-ran all the numbers, those same numbers, but with the one factor added back in of was the person in church last week, which is about as close as you can get with some of these studies. Sure. Of is their faith a part of their life, yes. right? Like that's So you're going to get an, an occasional yeah. person that hasn't been to church in five years, but that's not going to be the norm. Most, If you Correct. went to church last week, then there's then you're probably a regular. Higher, yeah, yes. higher probability that your faith is part of your life, that it means, yeah. So we ran all those numbers, and if the person was in church last week, according to the Barna Group, and by the way, every other study that's ever been done, there's probably a dozen on this, the divorce rate plummets anywhere from 25 to 50%. So down to what? Down to, well, this means we have to get into what is the divorce rate. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to make it too confusing here. So, okay. We yeah. just 
So the average, so this is sort of, it gets super complicated here because we're talking about, are you talking first marriages or second marriages, whatever. So let's just say overall that the estimate that we can give for first marriages is probably that the divorce rate, instead of being 50%, is probably somewhere more like 25%, which is, by the way, still way too high. Uh-huh. Right? Sure, it's, sure. It's a universe different than 50. Yes, it, well, that's half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And the average church, depending on the study that you look at, there are churches that we know have divorce rates of 5 and 10% in the church, all the way up to to churches that have demographic groups that are higher risk. And those higher risk church populations, that could be 30%. It just sort of depends on which universe you're talking about. But the average American church, it looks more likely that the divorce rate is more like 15%. Now, again, still too high. Right. But but it's completely different than the world that we think it's this 50%. Yes, this is so this is huge. I'm hearing a few things from this. Okay, first of all, the overall divorce rate in the U.S. is probably about half of what we think it is yeah exactly. so half the people uh, that we think are getting divorced or not <laughs> um, second of all that that uh, the, the divorce rate amongst people who are uh, active in their faith who are around uh, on a consistent basis other believers uh, that's way lower than we think somewhere around probably 15 percent yeah, okay. maybe 20. It really depends on what you consider your average, Okay. right? And the third thing I'm getting from this is that community is huge. Yes. That who you're hanging out with, it's not just a matter of a, uh, yes, I believe, but if I'm, if I'm hanging out with other believers, that is going to greatly affect uh, my marriage, my relationships. Well, and and it makes sense, right? I mean, one of the things that we've all known is that if you, let's just say you're attending church every Sunday and you are in maybe a small group, you're in some form of community. You don't just walk in the doors and sit there, but you know, you know people to some degree. If you're having trouble in your, your marriage and you're connected into a community in some way, at some point, someone is gonna say, are you and Bob okay? Like, you know, that that question will come up. Right. And it makes it much more of an, an environment where you can share, you can be real, you can get help, you can not have to pretend that everything is happy, happy. Yes. <laughs> and, and because of that, you're in a supportive place where that help is more likely to come, and it just makes sense. That then when you add in the fact that you're also hopefully relying on the Holy Spirit, you're hopefully seeking the Lord on things, you add all that back in, it makes perfect sense that the divorce rate yes. would be anywhere from 25 to 50% lower. Right. Yes. I, people so often underestimate the power of your social circles. You know, I, I, I we deal with a lot of couples, that marriage is in crisis or some have already filed for divorce. and. And uh, they, uh, you see so often with those people that are struggling in their marriage that they have um, most of their social circles are not people who care about marriage. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of them are like people from work that they go have a drink after work and they sit around and complain about their spouses with each other instead of 
helping each other figure out how to be a better spouse. So, yeah, that's huge. Well, okay, so um, what are you seeing from all this? Is Are you seeing a, a, like some specific thing that jumps out at you that is a major problem then with how we're approaching marriages? Well, I mean, I think one of the, one of the main, I guess, patterns that I have observed both as a researcher and just as a person sort of living out there in the culture and talking to friends who are going through marriage issues and getting married for the first time is that there really is this deep down underground subconscious sense of futility about marriage in general um and that you know it's this big super complicated thing um we go in i can't tell you how many times i've listened to a pastor do a the sermon that goes along with the wedding ceremony yes and and listen to the message where he says you know marriage is hard oh yeah yes and I just want to stand up and go, oh. no, oh, marriage takes hard work. That's yeah. a different thing. Right. Marriage is not this doom and gloom, you know, obnoxious institution that you just got to fight through. Yeah. No, this is supposed to be an institution and a covenant that reflects the uh. union that Jesus and God have and yeah. that Jesus wants with his church. Like this is supposed to be this delightful thing. You are preaching and, to the choir here. I you just oh I don't know how you, yes. We have couples going that. it's it's <laughs> a, yes, well marriage is hard work. No when you do, when the more you do it right, the easier it gets. And in, in fact I, I tell couples all the time, you you know when you have a good marriage, when you it, it start doing the right things, learning how to love then that life is so much easier than the single life (laughs) oh my goodness well and and you know it's not just that but the thing that really bugs me and that i have made it's really become a passion for us here in our ministry is helping people see that it's not super complicated because there are so many very 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 real heartaches that people go through, I'm sure that some of the people listening to this are struggling and they feel like marriage is hard. What are you talking about? Right. And, and that is a very real feeling, but it's usually based on this, again, very subconscious idea that once you get into trouble and once you have these problems, you're just getting yourself in deeper and deeper and you're trying all these things and nothing's working and nothing I do is ever good enough for her and I'm just trying so hard and it's not working and she's trying all these things and, and you know, doesn't feel loved and it's just, at some point, it's understandable that people would feel hopeless. Yes. And what we have found in the research is that in the vast majority of cases, now, just to be clear, this isn't 100%, right? right. There are exceptions to this. But in oh, the yes. vast majority of cases, it, it, it is not rocket science to fix it. It's just what's happening is people don't know some of these little things about the other person, the little things that hurt them or the little things that they need. And they are trying really hard and they don't realize they're trying hard in the wrong areas or they don't realize they are legitimately hurting the other person every day and they would never intend to 
And so sometimes it's literally just a matter, again, this is the majority, this isn't 100%, but in many cases, it is literally just a matter of having our eyes opened to some of these little key things that matter to the other person or hurt them. And suddenly you're trying hard in the right areas and it's like, wow, you suddenly see these huge changes in a very short period of time simply because you're applying something you just didn't know before. Sure. And and sometimes that thing is even just a mindset that you have. You know, if you're one of these things that you're talking about um, uh, in from your research, I wanted to touch on one other. Uh, there's and I heard you speak about this. Um, that you did some survey where you came back and gave the survey again, I think it was five years later, and people who uh, first uh, put on the survey that they were unhappy or very unhappy, if they were still together five years later, that had changed. Tell what, what was that about again? Yeah, that was a really, really powerful study. It was actually wasn't mine. It was done by a, a researcher, really an all-star team of researchers led by a researcher named Linda Waite um, and Scott Stanley. And um, and they followed people, again, it was a long-term study, and they found that people who rated their marriage as being in the worst shape, so they were at the worst end of the scale of the study group, they followed them and found that if those people stayed married for five years, that 80%, again, it's not 100%, right? Right. But 80% of those people were very happy at the highest end of the scale, in other words, five years later. And it's interesting because a lot of the researcher community, kind of the secular university researcher world, sort of mocked that study a little bit when it came out, even though it was extraordinarily well done. And they called it the spontaneous remission study, you know, like they had cancer and suddenly the cancer just went away. (laughs) Like, how is that possible? But you know what? If what we've been finding in our studies is true, that it's usually not the big, huge things. And usually these little things that we just didn't know, if that is true and suddenly you change a few of those little things, it makes perfect sense that you could be very happy five years later. Yes. And I would think one of those little things, excuse me, is would be uh, uh, a mindset. So I'm putting both of these two studies together, yours on the, uh, on, on the divorce rate and this one. And what's jumping out at me is that, okay, there's a common theme here, um, fear versus hope. If I thought I was going to, uh, using the 50-50 rule, if I believe that marriage is 50-50, I've got a 50-50 chance of it being successful, then I'm gonna go into that with a very different mindset than I would thinking, oh, it's more like 20 or less, 15%. Uh, because I'm going to have a lot more fear. So uh, uh, if I had, if, if somebody handed me a coin and said, okay, flip this coin. If it lands on heads, um, then you double all of your investments. If it lands on tails, you lose all your investments. I'm probably going to say, no, thanks. I won't flip that coin. I'm flipping that coin. But if I do, I'm probably going to say, I'll tell you what, I'll flip the coin, but I'll only put in a thousand dollars. I'm not putting all my investment in. So 
I am going in with a very different mindset. I'm going to I'm going to go in with a fearful mindset, and that fear that fear changes the way that we interact, right? Do, do we do we interact differently when when we're afraid? I'll, yeah, I'll give you an example of it because this is class. This is a classic example we found, in, and by the way, we found this consistently in all the surveys. So I'll tell you about a friend of mine. I ended up stopping the presses on the good news about marriage in order to add in her example because I thought it was so perfect. So she was getting married for the second time. She'd been a single mom for ten years. Good friend of mine, and she asked about some of the research I was finding in the book and I was explaining that the whole idea of this super high second marriage divorce rate that that is an urban legend because it is by the way it's not even based on anything it's it's all just urban legend oh really oh, yeah okay. we, can, we can talk about that in a minute if you want but, <laughs> but so I was telling her this and she was getting more and more and more stunned she was about to go in to her second marriage and she said, you know what this is, is doing to me? Because I told her that the, the rate of divorce for second marriages, from what we can tell from the Census Bureau, is only a teeny bit higher than the first marriage divorce rate. You know, it's the vast majority of second marriages and first marriages last a lifetime. And, um, and she said, you know what this is doing? I have been feeling, as I'm going into my second marriage, like, I love this man. We're both committed to Christ. We, we definitely assume this is going to last a lifetime, but, you know, I've heard this 60% divorce rate thing, you know, that the chances aren't good, and I have kids now, and so I need to protect myself a little bit. I, I need to have this little bank account on the side. That's what I've been thinking. I right. need the little bank account on the side just so in case. keeping one you know, foot out. Keeping one foot out almost, it just in case it all falls apart. Now, she would never think of it as keeping one foot out the door, mm -hmm. but it's this little protected thing that she's not sharing. She's not completely one right. with this new man that she was about to marry because of fear. Right. And and understandable because she's got kids, you know, understandable sure. fear in a way. And, and she realized when we started talking about it, I said, you know, I told my friend, what we found in the study of one of the studies I did was what do happy marriages do differently than everybody else, even people in good marriages, not to mention struggling ones. And one of the things is they don't do that. They don't try to protect themselves. They're all in completely. They lock themselves in the marriage, throw away the key. I will risk everything and find that what happens is that it's not a risk. And that usually creates more security. Right. Because those things that we do to protect ourselves, like what my friend was about to do, those things, without us intending to, they actually build a little bit of a wall. Oh, sure. sure. And they create a lack of, a little bit of a lack of trust. And then that creates more of a wall and more of a lack of trust. And pretty soon, you're actually, the things you're doing to protect yourself are actually hurting your marriage right. and causing the exact problems you're trying to protect yourself from. Oh, what you're hitting on cannot be understated. I, I, I can't tell you how often that we find that, that plan B mindset, that safety net mindset, that, uh, you know, um, contingency plan. You know, uh, there, uh, is there some research that shows that um, there's a difference between divorce rates with people who have prenuptial agreements. 
Oh, yeah. There's been quite a bit of research on that, and I don't know. I can't quote you any studies at the moment, okay. but the prenuptial agreement thing, that, yeah, that's huge because you're going in already contractually saying, just so you know, since this might fail, here's what happens when it fails. It's, it's automatically inserting a sense of futility into the marriage from the very beginning. So is that, is, uh, do we know from research then that, that prenuptial yeah. agreements have a higher failure rate? Yes. Now, now, just to be fair, as a researcher, there are a lot of different reasons for that. I mean, one of them, I, you know, I think the main one is psychological, but also other researchers have pointed out that you know, the type of people to do prenups yes. are, are probably the type of people who are more likely to, to duck out on a marriage. Sure. So it's not a fair comparison, but yes, we, we do know that prenups, those marriages have higher divorce rates. Well, and something you just said there, so the type of person, well, if we're the type of person that is, thinks of marriage as something that um, is going to likely fail or I've got a you know 50 50 50 percent shot at best that creates a type of person right that mindset that fear yeah. mindset so very much so yeah. yeah without realizing it usually oh yeah yeah and it just changes everything well this is this is really good news Shanti um I just I wish we had more time because we there's so much here but uh, what I, what I'm getting overall from this is that if we if we understood that if we thought of marriage in a different way, it was, if we thought of it as this is going to be something that's good and this is something that's going to make my life better, and um, uh, I I don't have this big fear of you're going to abandon me, then it just it changes. It's a game changer for how we do marriage, and. Um, uh, you know, I I just when you were talking about the preachers preaching that sermon, you know, marriage is hard work. Uh, the, for the listeners out there, I would just I, I would highly recommend that you get, go and and get this book that Shanti's been talking about. I can't wait for the one that's coming out about the kindness challenge in January. But uh, and also, where can they? What's uh, your website, Shanti? It's actually shanti.com, S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. You got in early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, it's sure been a joy talking with you and uh, hearing this great news. And the name of your uh, book that's coming out in January again is? The Kindness Challenge. Okay. And the one that we've been talking most about is called? The Good News About Marriage. The Good News About Marriage by Shanti Feldhahn. That last name is spelled F-E-L-D-H-A-H-N. Well, it's been a joy having you on here, Shanti. I sure appreciate your time. Thanks and so much, uh, keep keep bringing this good this good research to us. I'm glad that you have uh, abandoned Wall Street for for <laughs> things that that are more eternal. Thanks so much. All right. Have a great day. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize our culture for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this and any of our podcasts. Drop us an email at relationshiprewire at gmail.com. That's relationshiprewire at gmail.com.
Is your church or organization looking for a course that doesn't just provide information, but actually transforms marriages and relationships? Then visit us at growinglovenetwork.org to see how our Growing Love course can work for you. Growing Love has been chosen by the state of Texas as a Together in Texas course, and it's also recommended for engaged couples.